In sports, hell in life, it is winners who get all the recognition, and rightfully so, they did earn it. But if you're in the market for a good sports story, you should never overlook those less fortunate, especially when it's in the UFC's formative years in question. Sure, the Gracies, Shanrocks, and Severins of the world have stories that are worth telling, but they have already been told. Today we want to share some of the obscure tales about the characters who often get lost in the shuffle. I'm Tom from MMA On Point and these are 10 fascinating early UFC losers you don't know about. Number 10, Trent Jenkins. The UFC origin story has been retold countless times through books, interviews, and documentaries, but routinely left unmentioned is Trent Jenkins, even though he was there from the jump. The official narrative depicts a standalone eight-man tournament, which was eventually won by Hoist Gracie when he choked out Gerard Godot. However, before that, there was another fight, which was omitted from the broadcast and ultimately had no bearing on the proceedings. Trent Jenkins faced Jason DeLucia in one of the event's more entertaining fights, partly because they were two of the better athletes. And while it's often wrongly called the first ever UFC fight, John McCarthy confirmed it in his book that it actually happened just before the main event. DeLucia won by submission and had a long and relatively successful MMA career, while Jenkins lost another three, including an alternative fight at UFC 2 before retiring and being almost forgotten, but we got you Jenkins. His dark match with Delusia was later included on the VHS release, and if you watch it on Fight Pass, it's clear they just re-uploaded that version because the quality is so 1993. Number nine, Harold Howard. Harold Howard made quite the impression at UFC 3. Not only did he deliver an epic promo and a sensational scissor flip kick, he actually scared off Hoist Gracie, who had been ducking him for years. Sure, Gracie says it was exhaustion, but but I maintain that it was fear, goddammit. But really, despite becoming somewhat of a cult hero for MMA fans back in 1994, he became a real villain in 2009 when he was taken into custody and faced numerous charges, including attempted murder, assault with a weapon, and attempted breaking and entering. He reportedly developed a painkiller addiction back in the 80s, way, way before the UFC, but in 2009, things got really bad. After being charged with assault against his wife after showing signs of extreme paranoia, he moved in with his sister, but his paranoia persisted. He claimed that people were stealing his painkillers and even showed up disheveled at the Toronto Star offices, insisting that there was a plot to ruin his life before saying on to plan B when he was escorted out of the building. Then he made headlines about two weeks later when he attacked his sister and nephew with a hammer. However, his nephew did fight back, Howard raced off in his truck, and then subsequently drove it through the walls of the Niagara Falls View Casino. In court, he pleaded guilty to charges including aggravated assault, assault causing bodily harm, and dangerous driving, and was sentenced to five years in prison. Number eight, Melton Bowen. In the UFC's infancy, boxing was massively underrepresented, but not by design since Art Davey, one of the promotion's founders, tried his best to secure big name pugilists. For UFC 1, he negotiated with James Bonecrusher Smith and Leon Spinks, but they couldn't work out a deal. And in the end, Art Jimison reluctantly accepted the offer. The second boxer to compete in the promotion was Melton Bowen, a few years before he'd lose to Shannon Briggs. He faced 
UFC 2 tournament winner Steve Jenham at the promotion's fourth event, losing by submission, but lasting about two minutes longer than his predecessor. He also had the sense to wear what would become MMA-style gloves, not one boxing glove. Anyway, years later in 2012, Bowen appeared in a news story about Rudy Eugene, aka the Miami Cannibal. It came after the police shot and killed Eugene when he refused to stop savagely ripping and eating a homeless man's face named Ronald Popo. Bowen explained how he met the future cannibal at a flea market where they both worked and that Eugene picked a fight with him leading to the boxer knocking him out with a white hook. No arrests were made that day and Bowen said that no charges were ever filed because he punched Eugene in self-defense, but considering what Eugene eventually became, Bowen surely deserved a medal. Number seven, Christoph Leninger. Because judo has never been the ruling discipline in mixed martial arts, few judokas really stand out for their MMA achievements. Sure, Ronda Rousey is obviously at the top of the list with the likes of Hidehiko Yoshida, Hector Lombard, and Carl Parisian, but Christoph Leninger is seldom mentioned, probably because his MMA career was just a big old flop. However, he was the first competitor to represent the gentle way in the octagon and was legitimate as they come. His father Maurice was a French judo champ who immigrated to the US in the 1950s and naturally introduced his children, Christophe and Brian, to the family business practically straight out of the womb. Christophe became a two-time US national judo champion, a silver medalist at the Pan Am Games in 1992, and a three time Olympic team alternate, while Brian became a US national champion in 1996. They'd become known as the Flying Leninger brothers, and then in 1994 UFC 3, Christoph decided to try his hand at this new thing known as NHB, but it didn't work out. He drew the short straw when he was matched up against Ken Shamrock, who was on just a revenge tour for UFC 1, and a green judo player wasn't getting in his way. Leninger would return to the UFC in 1997 though, after winning three in a row. However, he was once again up against it when he drew Shamrock's training partner, Guy Mezger. Mezger won a decision, and Leninger fought twice more outside the promotion before retiring from MMA. Number six, Rudyard Moncayo. With a name that looks like it was produced from one of those random name generators, Rudyard Moncayo failed to get a foothold in MMA. A Kempo Karate stylist, his one and only UFC fight against Pat Smith began with Smith landing a This Is Sparta special and ended in a little over a minute with a modified rear naked choke that made Moncayo tap. He'd have two more fights outside of the UFC losing both, but around the same time, he was actually finding a regular gig in Hollywood as a stuntman. He got his start in an episode of the Mighty Morphing Power Rangers before his UFC fight, he then then later worked on the movie in 1995. Soon he'd earned credits on the likes of 1998's god-awful version of Godzilla starring Matthew Broderick and a plethora of Vin Diesel-led films like Fast and Furious, The Chronicles of Riddick, and Triple X. He most recently appeared in John Wick and John Wick Chapter 2, a series with exceptional choreography and unquestionably a feather in the cap for any stuntman. Number five, Andy Anderson. If you want to see one of the most hilarious fights in UFC history, watch Andy Anderson versus John Hess at UFC 5. Well, it's not so much of a fight, but a sadistic game where a six foot seven Hess tried his damnedest to remove Anderson's eyeballs, right after Anderson claimed he'd donate his winnings to a charity for the blind. 
Regardless, Anderson, who lost by TKO, was allegedly a black belt in Taekwondo and had an 86-0 record in bare-knuckle challenge matches. But it wasn't his apparent martial arts or bare-knuckle exploits that got him into UFC 5. He reportedly supplied ring girls from his totally nude steakhouse, a classy restaurant where you admire me while eating me. That's gross! <laughs> It sure is, Billy. However, shortly after his UFC appearance, it closed its doors due to moral turpitude. He then sort of faded into obscurity until 2010 where his name appeared in the news, but it wasn't fighting or beef related. A story revealed that he was convicted on charges of conspiracy to distribute methamphetamine and money laundering, while also exposing his ties to the Aryan Brotherhood. In the end, he was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Good fucking riddance. Number four, Thomas Ramirez. UFC 8 fittingly titled David vs. Goliath featured various matchups pitting behemoths against relatively normal sized humans, like Paul Valens vs. Joe Moreira and Thomas Ramirez vs. Don Fry. The latter, Ramirez vs. Fry, starred a pair of debutants with £200 in the difference. Moreover, Ramirez, who tipped the scales at £410, was purportedly 200 in bare knuckle challenge fights. So on paper, it appeared he was a formidable fighter. But like all of the charlatans of the era, cracks immediately began to appear in his Sard on fight night. Not only was he grossly overweight, but he looked petrified, juxtaposing a shredded fry who was standing cross-armed as if he was in a queue at the grocery store. And then, in a blink of an eye, the fight was over when the predator knocked Ramirez out cold in just eight seconds. It was later revealed that Ramirez was actually just an untrained cab driver, and his 200 fights were never verified. Shocking, I know. Moreover, the only fight we know he had for sure, aside from the Fry drubbing was a qualifier for UFC 3, which was reportedly fought in a barn against Keith Hackney, you know, the legend who would hit Joe's son in the balls like it was game of whack-a-mole. Hackney won, yet Ramirez would reportedly continue to bug Art Davey for another opportunity, so when they had the David versus Goliath theme, he fit if only for his girth. Number three, Fred Etish. Before memes became the internet's answer to poetry, Fred Etish became one. Originally an alternate for UFC 2, it appeared he wouldn't get a chance to compete. Still, he was invited to help out behind the scenes in the Burt Watson role, which was leading the competitors to the staging area before their fights. But after Frank Hamacher withdrew, Etish, who was busy wrangling fighters, was approached by Horian Gracie, who asked him if he was ready to fight. A few minutes later, he was in the Octagon facing Johnny Rhodes. Rhodes already had every physical advantage you could ask for, and now he had another, as Etish barely had a second to warm up, leading to a one-sided mauling that made Etish a laughingstock. And while piling on seemed like harmless fun, the endless taunting really affected Etish, who, despite his performance, was a dedicated martial artist, unlike many of the swindlers alleging mastery at the time. Yet he'd continued to be ridiculed for years, and when coupled with the death of his new son in 1996, he said he even considered suicide, but he never acted on it, continued to train and even opened a school affiliated with the military fighting systems. And then 15 years later, at 54, he stepped back into the cage for his second pro MMA bout and beat Carl Fletcher by TKO in the first round. And he was never a great fighter, man, he was a fighter nonetheless. Number two, Zane Frazier. UFC 1 was a simple concept put a motley crew of competitors from contrasting disciplines into a tournament and see who wins. But for Art Davey and Horian Gracie, procuring the right competitors 
was pivotal. They were eventually introduced to WKF US Super Heavyweight Champion Zane Frazier, a Kempo Karate fighter and Stevie Wonder's former security guard. And as the story goes, they went to see him compete, but instead of a night of point fighting, they witnessed a brawl arriving just in time to see Frazier beat up Frank Dupes, the inspiration for Jean-Claude Van Damme's classic Bloodsport. And while the details are sketchy, Frazier claimed that he'd been teaching classes for Dukes and that Dukes hadn't paid him. So after exchanging some unpleasantries, Dukes approached Frazier, but Frazier dropped him. Dukes naturally disputes that story and says Frazier sucker punched him while wearing brass knuckles, but it is difficult to believe a lifelong purveyor of bullshitsu. <laughs> Unless you actually accept that he won a secret Kuma in the Bahamas with 56 consecutive knockouts, breaking multiple world records including the fastest KO ever at 12 seconds. Regardless, that was how Frazier got into UFC 1 where he fought Kevin Rosier, the man who catfished the UFC with an audition picture that showed him at 245 pounds despite showing up at 325. Frazier, who had asthma, ultimately lost after going into respiratory failure and credits his wife who threw in the towel for saving his life. And number one, Ron Van Cleef. The word legend is thrown around far too often for my liking, but Ron Van Cleef deserves that accolade. Born in Brooklyn, New York in 1943, he made his MMA debut 51 years later at UFC 4, making him the oldest fighter to ever fight in the octagon. Yet, he looked like that. And while he lost to the eventual tournament winner Hoist Gracie, his stint was only a footnote in the fascinating life. After surviving the 60s, which for him included service in Vietnam and a racist lynching that almost left him dead, he moved to Hong Kong. There he starred in a plethora of 70s kung fu films, many of which were inspired by the nickname given to him by Bruce Lee, the Black Dragon. And it happened right when the studio set their sights on the West, which led to the genre just blowing up in the US, particularly among African Americans. Partly because of the many films like Bruce Lee's Fists of Fury regularly addressed themes of discrimination, an intimately relatable issue since they just endured a battle for civil rights. And while Van Cleef wasn't an icon to the level of, say, Jim Kelly, who starred alongside Bruce Lee in Enter the Dragon, he was still popular. But after UFC 4, he never actually fought in MMA again. He did, however, serve as the commissioner for a time. He also continued to compete in karate, winning an All-American Championship at 60, before earning silver in his first jiu-jitsu tournament at 71. What an absolute hero. Thanks so much to Rob Pallon for writing this list. You can follow him at the Rob Pallon. And thanks so much to Max Randall for editing it. You can follow him at Max underscore Randall. Also, thanks so much to the man Ben Rosette, composer of the intro music. Please go check out his music by clicking the link in the description below and catch the latest updates on his Instagram and Twitter page at Ben Rosette. Thanks for watching that video. Please do like and subscribe. We upload three jaw-droppingly juicy MMA videos a week to get your teeth into and let us know your thoughts in the comments. Make sure to follow us at On Point MMA and Tom A. Ransom on Twitter and you make sure you have a great day.